Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Almost Better Than Silence. I'm your co-host Matt with your regular host Doug. How's it going? Hey Doug. It's been a while. It has been a while. Um, yeah. I've, I've been so close to being on an episode multiple times and it's just not worked out. Um, which is unfortunate because I've, I've done a lot of cool stuff that I wanted to talk about, uh, all the way back to, uh, Google IO. Oh, do tell. Oh my God. It was a, a, a few cool things that, that Google has been talking about. The first thing, um, if you haven't heard is VR. So, I mean, everybody knows about the Oculus Rift. It's really cool. It's very high quality, very premium. If you've ever tried it, um, it could probably do with being a little bit higher resolution. Um, but other than that, it, it's it's a very premium product. Uh, Google, for a while now, has had a product called Cardboard, which is basically this sort of case that you put your phone in, and then it turns your phone into a virtual reality headset. And so it only costs like three bucks and they publish the plans for it online. So you can, you can just download it, print it out onto a piece of paper, trace it on some cardboard, cut it all up, put the little lenses and stuff in and, and you've got yourself a Google cardboard. It's really cool. And they put out a new version of it, which I got, a, a I don't want to say a copy of it. I got one. Um, which I guess really isn't very good swag because it's only like three bucks, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's really cool. And I, I tried it out and it works a lot better than I expected it to. So that's neat. Um, what phone are you using? Because I, I too have a Google cardboard. I actually purchased one of like the more sophisticated models just because it, it, it holsters larger phones, uh, like mine, the droid turbo, mm -hmm. but I was having a, a visual like, discrepancy when it came to how uh far apart each panel was on the phone oh interesting did, yeah did you have any problems or no uh i have a nexus 5 and i didn't have any problems to speak of okay um, and that's a pretty large isn't it yeah it's almost five inches okay foreign change but yeah I, I know that there are different configurations when i set mine up it asked me to scan this sort of qr code looking thing um, and I'm assuming that sort of figured out what configuration to, to put the, the phone into. Here's a question for you though. Yeah. How long did you say, look into the device? Like how long was your experience? Did you go at it for like 10, 15 minutes? And if you did go for like an extended period of time, did you f feel nauseous at all? Yeah. I, I spent probably 10, 15 minutes. I used the demo app that they, they let you download it. It was okay. I didn't. I didn't really feel nauseous. Um, when I tried the Oculus Rift, I didn't really feel nauseous. I don't think I, I'm a particularly nauseous person when it comes to like motion or or anything like that. Um, I can understand how some people would would feel uncomfortable with it, um, whether it be from nausea or uh, just from having this thing strapped to your head or the disorientation of not really being able to look left and right. You have to sort of turn your head, uh, which is a really unnatural way to, to look at things. You know, it, it's like when you, um, when you hurt your neck and you have to turn your whole body to look at stuff. Uh, it, it's, it's definitely going to be a problem though. It's something that tech companies are going to have to overcome. Um, and I think probably the next generation of virtual reality, 
Um, I know Oculus just announced that they're putting out a new consumer-oriented headset, which is great for consumers because it'll finally put Oculus technology within a price point that most people can afford. The downside is that it really isn't very much more premium, right? Like you, you don't get a phenomenal, excellent new experience that improves on the previous generation. So what I think is probably going to be the next big thing for VR. And in my opinion, that's Google, uh, Facebook, who owns Oculus and Microsoft is really just going to be improving the technology and working out all of these really, really terrible bugs. So the nausea, the screen resolution, the needing to turn your head to look around, um, they're going to need to work on stuff like wraparound displays and higher resolution displays and being able to control the brightness of the screen at a much more fine grain level, right? Like our eyes aren't used to looking around and having literally everything we look at emit light. This is not a thing. I was actually just going to bring that up. Like moving forward, even with Oculus or just using cardboard in your phone is like directly in front of your eyes. Do you think there's going to be damage done to the eyes? Like I'm interested to see the studies specifically. I'm pretty positive, like looking at a screen, like a computer screen or a monitor or even your phone for an extended period of time does damage uh, a certain part of your eye. I'm, I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure that's a thing. And if that's the case, like if people are expecting to spend an extended amount of time with their phone literally inches from their eyes, like at like full resolution, like I, that just can't be good. Yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. I think to some degree it, it might not be the best. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, it's probably not any worse than staring at a monitor for eight hours. If, if you have a desk job, um, which I do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're all sort of suffering from that to begin with. I, I don't know if there's going to be any, you know, really critical eye damaging issues. I think one of the problems that they will have to overcome is developing types of screens that lead to less discomfort. And um, fundamentally, the physics of, of the light, I don't think really changes whether you're looking at a screen or whether you're looking at a or a screen that's further away versus a screen that's very close to your eyes, the light field, as long as it's coming into your eyes in the same way, um, it really doesn't make a difference. So it's all about the intensity of the light. It depends on uh, how much light there is and how condensed it is and sort of the minimum amount of light versus the maximum amount of light. Um, so it, it really depends. I think you're going to see a, a lot of really cool, new, interesting technology. I'm really looking forward to the Microsoft HoloLens. Uh, yes. I was going to, it's so funny because I was going to ask about the augmented reality aspect mm -hmm. of things. Yeah. How did that look? Um, I didn't see that at Google IO. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> but mostly because it was a, it was a Google event, but um, I am on the waiting list for it. It is super cool. Uh, they just announced at E3, I think, that my, uh, Minecraft is officially coming to HoloLens. Definitely. I don't know if they actually showed off demos. I'm yet to see an, an actual working video feed demo from a HoloLens. I know there's been sort of lots of these videos of people wearing them with these 3D models in front of them, but obviously that's not really a first-person sort of 
view, right? Like we don't yeah. know what it look what it actually looks like to be wearing one. And pr- that's probably really hard to do because, you know, you'd have to put a camera in just the right spot and, you know, manipulate it around to simulate somebody actually wearing it. But I heard the viewpoint of it is very narrow. So I'm interested to see if I ever get my uh, my hands on one to see if that's true or not. Yeah, I would love to know because I mean done right and done well it it it'll be phenomenal. But if they sort of half ass it, which I'm you know, I wouldn't put it past Microsoft. <laughs> um I I I feel like I'd probably end up being a little bit disappointed. I think I'm going to be disappointed one way or the other. Um but I'm really hoping that they don't disappoint me because it, it's a super cool technology curious if you don't mind talking about it did, did it cost sure. money to uh pre-order it um they haven't actually let i don't know about anyone but they haven't let me physically pre-order it i'm on like a waiting list to pre-order oh, okay yeah the day that they announced that they were taking signups for the waiting list, I put my name in. So nice. It can't be too long. Um, who knows? I, I'll keep you guys posted. I'm sure it'll right. be great. Awesome. Um, but yeah, so Go- Google announced uh, new cardboard stuff. But what I thought was probably the most impressive thing that they announced. Um, well, two impressive things. The first impressive thing is that they. Uh, talked about this new VR initiative. They came up with this really clever 360-degree uh, HD video camera. And what? Yeah, it's it uses 16 smaller cameras, and there's going to be a version manufactured by GoPro. And basically what it does is it has these cameras overlap in this really special way with HD video. And then you take the... 16 video feeds that you captured and you upload it to the special Google service and then they chew on all of the image data for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and they spit out a 360 degree 3D video that if you had Google Cardboard uh, or presumably an Oculus Rift you could you know hold it up to your face and look around in 3D 360 degree video that's ridiculous. It's very, very cool. Um, I had a chance to look at one. It's really freaking neat. It's really, really, really cool. Um, so the only thing that I can even think of that even comes close to reminding me of that is in Heavy Rain, there's this one character, uh, the I guess the detective, and he has some futuristic uh, ability. I don't know if he wears a glove or if it's like a ring or what, but he puts on this device and everything around him becomes augmented and he's com- completely in different locations. So like he could be in the desert cause, and it's his office setting and he like tailors it to what he wants or he could be on the moon for all that matters and it looks ridiculous. Yeah, and so the the neat part about this is that you don't need one of these cameras to try it out. They said that in the coming months, you're going to be able to use your Google Cardboard and watch these on YouTube. So uh, if you have a Google Cardboard or if you order a Google Cardboard, uh, you'll be able to go on YouTube with your phone and actually experience these you know, 3D, 360 degree high definition videos that other people are producing. Oh um, God, that's so cool. Yeah. So that it, I'm, I'm super excited about that. 
Um, have you seen any of these 360 views already? Like, which ones have you experienced? Um, they had one that was sort of like on top of a mountain. Um, it that was, sounds cool. Yeah, it was really compelling. <laughs> uh, I don't really know how to describe it. It was like being on top of a mountain. Did, did they like have a, a fan like blowing on you like without you realizing <laughs> and you're just like, holy shit, I'm so immersed. No, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I, I can imagine that uh, they would eventually have something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, other stimuli. Like, Google cardboard know. fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, otherwise, the only other thing that they really announced was an improved photos app. And the cool part about the Photos app is actually the machine learning that goes into it. Um, and if you've ever spoken to me in person, um, you'll know that I'll just ramble for, for hours about machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, and Google has basically thrown all of their big machine learning guns at their new Photos app. And uh, so you can search for what's in your pictures and it'll automatically classify your pictures by who's in them and where they were taken and all sorts of other stuff. So um, that's something that I have wanted for a very long time because, you know, you have 100 billion photos on your phone and you're looking for one of them. Uh, it's it's just not possible to find it. So <laughs> <laughs> this is super helpful. Nice. Yeah, that sounds ridiculous, like the technology behind it. It really is. We we really do live in exciting times with just the sheer impressiveness of of the AI that that's being developed. Um, it can recognize human faces. Um, it can one of the demos that they actually gave, uh, which is really cool. The product manager for for the Google Fro uh, Photos app opened it up and he showed us pictures of his like five or six year old daughter. And then he's scrolling back in time and his daughter's getting younger and younger and younger until it shows photos of her uh, when she was born. And he was like, the cool part about this is that even though the person changed age and they look completely different, the app was still able to figure out that it was the same person because it knows what they look like over time. Damn. I know, right? <laughs> that is extra deep. Yeah, it's it's really, really cool. Um, and not to go on too much about machine learning and whatnot, but there I did I post it in Slack? I did post it in Slack. Um, so Google did this amazing article called Inceptionism, going deeper into neural networks. And basically, they were talking about how we build these neural networks to do image recognition and machine learning, but we have no idea how these things work on the inside, right? Like we know theoretically what each layer of the neural network does. We know how the neurons work. We know the input. We know the output. We know how to tweak it. We know how to refine it, make it better, make it understand things. But, you know, like if you said, oh, what's going on at layer 24? What is that doing? They probably couldn't tell you. So in an effort to sort of make this easier, what they did was they added this feature to their neural networks where basically it can pass data backwards. So you feed an image in and then you tell it, okay, now whatever you think that is, push the data backwards and apply it to the image. And so, um, I don't know, do you have the link for this? 
Yeah, in fact, I'm, I looked at it when you first posted it, and I was like, this is going over my head. I'm going to need him to explain it. So there's a there's a photo gallery. It's the one with the, the image preview. And so if you scroll through there and look at those photos, those are all real photos that have gone through this neural network. Oh, and- God, I do rem- Wait. Yeah, this is the trippiest shit I've ever laid eyes on. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, and I was looking at it, and I just was thinking to myself, "Why is this happening?" But it's it's like works of art, like weird. It really is. It's strange. So, from from somebody who knows nothing about it, let me just explain like one of the images. It looks like a psychedelic top of a city, and then in the sky are these dog clouds that are all swirled together with vehicles and birds beaks and unicycles i have no idea it's what's like going on job of well, the hut in the bottom left hand corner yeah we'll, we'll <laughs> definitely include the pictures of this. like goats and fish and all sorts of weird and wacky and wonderful things so how is this how are what kind of algorithm is determining like the outcome of these strange as fuck images yeah so I mean, imagine this. So uh, let's see if there's actually a, a good example. So um, if you go down, there's uh, one image and it says horizon trees leaves. And basically, oh, yes, they have this system and they feed all of the images in the entire world, right? All of Google images into this system. And they say, this is what each of these images are, right? So this is a picture of a goat. This is a picture of a cat. This is a picture of whatever. And the system uses a neural network to figure out how to recognize that thing, right? So the first layer of the network might say, this is a shift in contrast. This is a shift in brightness. This is a corner. This is a, an edge. And then the next layer up will say, okay, this is a corner next to an edge. This is uh, two edges next to each other, et cetera, et cetera. And so all the way up this stack, you get, progressively more and more complex sets of details until at the other end you get some sort of output and then the system says okay well this image is supposed to be a cat and you said that it's a dog so feed cat back into the system and tweak all of the numbers along the way that produced dog until they produce cat and then when you put the image through again the the tweaked numbers should make it output cat So each layer of this network understands a little bit about a certain characteristic of the image. And so what they're doing is basically saying, okay, well, at this layer, instead of propagating your findings upwards, propagate back down and share that data with the lower layers. And then at the bottom, apply that data back onto the image so whatever you think it's supposed to be make it look more like that so you have this image with the horizon the trees and the leaves and the horizon turns into like a pagoda the trees turn into some crazy looking eastern european buildings and then these leaves from uh was that a venus flytrap uh have turned into some interesting looking birds and you know there's feathers and everything but w- what's happening is you know the, com- the computer's seeing you know oh this might be a pagoda and so it's shifting the image sort of into a pagoda and then it sees the trees and it says this might be a building you know and so there was a really neat exercise uh i think it's further down 
dude, some of these get seriously brilliant as far as like artwork. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just yeah. fucking My beautiful. Favorite, there's the knight on a horse. Uh, you, you, you can see it very clearly, and the horse is just made out of like peacock feathers, and there's like this weird dragon coming out of the the armor on the horse, and like one of the knight knights has turned into like a person, and the knight on the horse, his hand is like a deer, and then his face <laughs> is a bird, and then there's like a dog coming oh, out of the his, horse's back. His face looks like a walrus. Hell yeah. <laughs> But in the in the article, which is the link right above that, um, or right below that, rather, the Google research link, um, it actually has a section where they basically fed in pictures of clouds and had the computer um, do sort of cloud. You, you know, when you're a kid and you, you lay on the ground, you look up at the clouds and you're like, that one looks like a dog, you know? Uh, uh, yeah, they they had the computer do that. Do that. <laughs> And so the computer's like, that looks like a pig snail. <laughs> wow. It's really freaking cool. That is ridiculous. I can't believe that it's able to analyze the data and then spit these strange images out. Yeah. I mean, to me, the most amazing part is they didn't teach the computer to do this, right? Like the computer came up with all of these images entirely on its own. They didn't teach it you know, oh, draw a cat when you see this or draw a dog when you see that or, you know, draw a pig snail when you see something that looks like this. It figured out what all of these things are. and um, It just shows us the true nature of artificial intelligence is just psychedelic. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of true, you know, like we don't know how these algorithms really fundamentally work. Um, but we're we're using them and they do work and we're gaining a little bit more insight into the little bits and pieces that make them tick well two things how odd is it that we've created something that we don't understand that already just is like wow and then uh the second part of this is have you seen ex machina or ex machina or however it's pronounced Oh, that is, that's like at the top of my list of things to watch. It really, it <laughs> has to be because like knowing how much you love uh, artificial intelligence, that movie I saw in theaters and it is a masterpiece. Like I have been waiting for a good film. Like I hadn't seen anything in theaters for the longest time because I just didn't give a fuck about anything. And then that came around and I was like, oh, I'll give it a chance. And when I left, I was really satisfied. So I can't wait to hear what you think about it, but it, it's a super, uh, unique and you you probably won't see what the ending coming i don't think a lot of people did um did i ever tell you that i backed a film called nightmare code oh yes indiegogo yeah i do recall this yeah i think it was the episode where uh the comcast guy or the at&t guy oh my god my door. yeah yes that was <laughs> definitely it um I I still don't know the status of it. Like it sort of fell off the face of the earth. Um, I'm looking forward to downloading it, but I think I'm going to be able to get an IMDb profile for like the second and a half that I appear. In it. Yeah, I was going to ask. I was like, "Are you on there?" That's so. cool. Yeah, no, I'm I'm in it. In fact, like they used my little clip as an example for the other people that backed the the film. Um, Sweet. And it, oh man, there is an IMDb page. I should read into this later hmm <laughs> anyway um 
You had a, a second question though it, about Ex Machina, and then also something else, and I forget oh, what the second shit. part was. What was it? Um, oh, some things that we don't understand. Yes. Yeah. It, I mean, it it is weird that we can build things that we don't understand, but at the same time, like without getting too deep into it, because I could I could talk all night about this. You know, like yeah. just nerd out. Well, that's um, what we got to do. <laughs> um. We, I mean, we don't even understand how the computers that are on our desk work, right? Like there's no one human that can tell you every single detail about a computer. It's just not same, possible. Same with the human body because that is just too complex. To- Absolutely. But I mean, like we manufacture computers, right? Like you can build a computer for yes. a few hundred bucks. I see what you mean. But I mean, from the bare metal all the way up to a programming language, all the way up to web browsers all the way up to rendering web pages the the entire process is so complicated with so many billions of things happening that have spanned you know 30 years of work for yeah, fine tuning yeah i mean it, you imagine like all of the code that's in your operating system windows 7 or windows 8 or whatever and and all of the legacy of that how many millions of lines of code and how many millions of lines of code in google chrome that's running on it and you know the the code running inside of your intel cpu and the code that's running on your motherboard and the code that you know makes your ram work and the physical structure of your ram and the physical circuit patterns on your cpu and gpu and so on and so forth i mean it, we don't understand a lot of things about computer science. Um, so, I mean, the the fact that, you know, it's one algorithm, we, we don't fully understand how it works. I mean, that's sort of unique, but eh, it's par for the course, I think. C- computer science is a long history of sort of being like, well, <laughs> it does its job. Um, and, and like I said, we understand the theory behind it and we understand fundamentally what it's doing we just don't understand the the details um and as it runs what it what is happening what what is each individual piece doing so um i don't know if we need to talk about this or not but what do you believe when it comes to moore's law um i think moore's law is is a little bit obsolete i think faster cpus it is really sort of a, a misnomer, right? Like we've got CPUs and GPUs that can do incredible amounts of work, right? You think of how many polygons a high-end GPU can render in a single frame, 16 milliseconds. It's absurd, you know? Yeah, seriously. And so I think at the end of the day, Moore's Law really doesn't matter anymore. Um, Interesting. It, it's all going to be about how do we cut the cost? How do we make it smaller, more power efficient? How can we offload some of this work onto other computers and distribute it, put it into the cloud? And I think hardware companies particularly are, are realizing this. I, I just read an article the other day about how SSDs have basically crossed the threshold where it doesn't really make sense to get a mechanical hard disk anymore. Uh, you can get a solid state drive for roughly the same price as a, as a old fashioned hard drive. And they were saying by, it was actually, it was like some weird, really specific date, like 2021, <laughs> like by 2021, we're going to have other types of hard drives. I was like, that's a weird prediction. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, they must, uh, 
know the future. <laughs> yeah. It, well, I mean, so there's like memzisters, which uh, is a type of uh, circuit that can retain uh, a small amount of information. They've been around for a while, but they haven't been able to mass produce them or make them really particularly useful. So those are coming. Um, there's all sorts of work being done on uh, NAND memory. I think it's called NAND memory. Interesting. NAND memory. Yeah. So NAND flash memory is uh, basically the next generation of flash memory. And it does a whole bunch of really crazy things that I don't understand at all. <laughs> um, but it it's going to really shake things up. And I, I've read headlines about 3D memory um, and, and sort of doing layering and all sorts of crazy stuff. So Okay, all this crazy stuff in the pot here, in the mix, do you think that at like X amount of years in the future, hundreds, if not thousands of years in the future, like seeing how fast we're uh, excelling with this uh, intelligence, do you think that it'll be possible that we could potentially, I don't know how I want to put it, but essentially download your consciousness into a, into a computer and, per- and perpetually live, but not in a, in a life, in, in a body? I mean, that's like well, a lot of, uh, some, not a lot of, but some sci fi has definitely touched on that and even certain cartoons and stuff. But I'm just eager Futurama. to see. Yeah, well, definitely. <laughs> um, I mean, if fundamentally, if you make the assumption that there's nothing, um, supernatural about the human body, right? Like if, if you say, you know, set aside the idea of, you know, a soul, um, being something that lives outside of our universe that's connected to the human body. If you, if you ignore that for a minute, then the human body effectively boils down to just a bunch of subatomic particles floating around in space, right? If you can map the position and, uh, velocity of of all of those particles you just run a simulation of it in a computer and the human would pick up where they left off right like they wouldn't know the better that's very hard right like if you take the human mind and you say i'm going to map out every single atom and molecule and where all the energy is and you know you you build a perfect simulation is it possible absolutely i mean there's there's nothing stopping us from doing that except the fact that we don't have the technology to possibly ever do that (laughs) yeah the the resources and the time that that would go into that is just probably incomprehensible but i see what you mean that it is technically possible yeah so i i I think we would have to come up with a lot of technology that simply doesn't exist right now like we currently memory exists in basically a one-dimensional array right and if you want to access something at position one, you have to write basically in order. Um, and so finding information is an order and operation. And so you have to start at the beginning and you have to scan all the way along. And so certain types of things that would have to do with the human brain just wouldn't really be very feasible, I think, because it is a 3D structure, right? So I think we would certainly have to come up with some type of new storage or use some sort of uh, 
quantum systems so that you don't have you know massive data centers powering the simulation of a single human brain like because that's just you know, at that point what's the point yeah definitely i i'm not that's the thing even if it got to that point i don't think i would even opt in for an option like that it just sounds like i think the whole point of being human is being able to feel and emotion and all of those things and once you're downloaded it would be simulated well i mean it's simulated in the sense that the computer doesn't know what's going on in your thoughts it's it's just you know the electrons going forward and the electron goes forward you know so so to uh-huh. you, nothing would be different. Obviously, you know, it would be dark and you wouldn't feel anything. But, uh, <laughs> you know, assuming that, you know, the scientists or whoever was able to replicate the same, you know, electrical Setting. signals that your optic nerve sends and your uh, spinal cord sends and et cetera, et cetera, th- you could be in the matrix, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I mean, that's that's totally a thing. That's insane. But all right, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought I'd at least pick your brain on that a little. Yeah, no, I <laughs> get get kind of metaphysical. I, I, oh god, I could just go on for hours about this. But dude, that's great. We need more episodes like this. So this is good. So what's what? What have you been playing, Doug? It's funny you ask. All right, so not that long ago there was the Steam Summer Sale, and I I got a handful of games. Like you're you'd be foolish not to because the deals are insane. Like especially if you wait it out, like towards the end of the Steam summer sale, like things are going on 70 to 90% off. And it's just like, okay, if you're only going to cost like a couple dollars, I will definitely get this game. Yeah. And a few of them, let me think here. What did I end up getting? I got Transistor because Bren had previously mentioned on an episode that he really enjoyed that. And I started it. It's really fun. I'm eager to see where it goes. So that was, I think only four or five bucks. I got, a copy of Gauntlet, which is, uh, it's, I don't know if you're familiar with those games, but they go back to N64 and PS2. My favorite specifically would be, uh, Dark Legacy on PS2. I put, put so many countless hours into that game. I had a, uh, a warrior, green warrior that was level 999 in magic, strength, uh, defense, and all that kind of shit. So I was serious about those games. And so when I heard about, oh, Gauntlet's coming back to Steam in like, uh, a new format. I was really excited. So, and I'm really glad I didn't buy it when it first came out. Cause I'm sure it was going for 30, $20, but on the steam summer sale, I got it for like five bucks and I was like, well, that's, that's good. So, and then a couple of the other guys on the ABTS team, like Bren dubs and AJ all grabbed it while it was cheap as well. I think actually Bren ended up getting a four pack cause it was on sale and he just uh, gifted it to them. So we we're all playing together and stuff. And God, don't get me wrong. Like the game is fun and I'm having an, uh, an okay time and it has like some kind of gauntlet like feel. It's like definitely like they just took the mechanics and the skeleton of gauntlet, but the, f- I don't know if it was the producer or the, the, the development team themselves who's responsible, but it just isn't the same kind of feel as an old gauntlet game. Like they lacking story wise, the graphics are a little kiddish. Like if you ask me, um, the archer is rendered useless to me because it's like, he constantly is shooting arrows no matter if you want him to be or not. And it's just so goddamn frustrating. Whereas like, I'm used to just, I, I don't know. I don't want to go into it, but that's just one complaint. And then the, the biggest complaint of all though is how repetitive everything seems. Like you have 
four dungeons to dive through and then you get to a boss. But like throughout those four dungeons, it's almost like completely, you can't tell which one's which because they look almost identical. It's that like boring of like, you just run like grinding through these things. And then, and then the worst thing about it is the items that you get as like for, you get rewarded with, uh, for say defeating things in the arena or just generally, I guess, uh, building up your the the amount of gold that you're collecting and then you can buy like weapon upgrades and stuff it's all cosmetic it's like nothing like really that special and it it just makes you feel like wow this is dumb as fuck like i'm wasting my time they the sad thing is it had so much potential it has the name of an amazing franchise but it's a huge disappointment i will go as far to say that i'd be i'm really interested to see what the other guys will say on a future episode if we talk about it but and that's the thing we we intend on doing some twitch live streams of gauntlet and also this is the last thing i have to mention this is the last game i got on steam summer sale was talisman the digital edition which talisman is one of my favorite board games of all time um i was introduced to it a couple years ago a buddy of mine had it and it's like this this old a board game from like the 80s and it I just got consumed by it it's so fun there's really interesting uh there's a very diverse amount of characters you can choose from it's in a fantasy setting and and you basically have to I guess in this edition you have to race to the crown and whoever gets the crown wins but there's also the cool thing about talisman was there was like uh expansions to the board game so you'd like add on more boards to the initial board and you can like and there'd be more cards and enemies and items and like random spells and stuff so the game's like really uh in depth and they made it into a digital edition available on steam and God damn, is it overpriced, but I was so glad to get it really cheap on, uh, the, the summer sale. It was like five bucks there. And then each expansion was only like a dollar. So I ended up just getting all of it because I love the games and it, it's just really, it's super well done. I was, I was nervous going into it being like, oh, I just spent all this money on this. It's not all that money. I think it collectively it was like $10. So I'm like, even still, it was like nothing, but I was thinking to myself, oh, am I even going to enjoy it? And the answer is yes. Like, it is great. It's It has the board game feel to it and everything. It's not a game for everyone, though. You have to expect it to be a board game. It's not like a classic video game where you're going to see lots of animations and stuff. It's like, no, you're going to be sitting there reading, like, spell cards and, like, then rolling dice and stuff. So, to me, though, I played uh so, by myself around. I played with my girlfriend. I've played with Brandon and some of the ABTS guys. And collectively, everyone always had a fun time. So that's another thing we're hoping to eventually uh, stream on Twitch, us all getting together to play either Talisman or Gauntlet. We're probably going to get sick of Gauntlet soon, and we only just got it. So it's like, God damn it. At least we didn't pay full, full price. Nice. Yeah. One thing that I've been meaning to ask you, because um, you play a lot of PC games, yeah? Yes. So I've been listening to a lot of gaming podcasts, mostly because I, I just want to know, you know, what, what everybody else does. But the point is, a lot of people have been saying that some of the big games or the very anticipated games that have come out for PC have been unplayably bad. Is that something uh-huh. that you have experienced uh, recently or in the last year or so? Hmm. Well, see, personally, no, because I don't really play a lot of, like, really big mainstream franchise titles. Like, 
I can't particularly think of like a recent release that was buggy. Typically, I'm more of the kind of person, I think me and Bren have this in common, that we play a lot of the more indie games that are available on Steam and things that people haven't necessarily heard of, but we give it a chance and find out if it's a gem or if it's like a total flop. But then again, there are certain games like, I don't know, uh, Skyrim, like <laughs> that's as like recent and that's not recent at mm-hmm. all. So that's, I guess I'm not the best person to ask when it comes to that. I'm sure I'd be, I wonder if, no, I don't think any of us on the ABTS team has a computer that could handle Witcher 3, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, maybe next time I'm on with, with Bren, I'll, I'll ask him. Because I, I've heard a lot of people talking about recent games, and somebody will be like, oh, you know, did you get that? And they're like, no, I'm waiting a month or two for them to put out a patch. You know, they're just not even buying these games, be it on Steam or elsewhere. Um, Ooh. Listen to this. Now, this is something I just recently heard about in gaming news. Fucking GameStop. I mean, already I have, like, a bad taste in my mouth. But they are capitalizing on old games. Oh, and it's yeah, like, man. Where have you been? Jesus. Oh, is that new? It's not, oh, dude. No, I mean, like, I mean, super old, like, retro games. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so that's not new at all? Yeah, and they're they're offering to, like, refurbish the, the cartridges, right? Yeah, and it's like they're like games that are like, however, uh, it just shouldn't be. They're so overpriced; it's unbelievable. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I've got to respect GameStop for doing this, but I also recognize the fact that they're doing it because they know they can turn a huge profit. Right? You've yeah. got a really, really, really super dedicated fan base that own all of these games that are very quickly becoming unplayable, right? Whether it be the battery and the cartridge is dying or the cartridge just won't work anymore. You know, you can't blow into the goddamn thing hard enough and you're jamming it into your super NES or whatever. And so there's nobody out there that does this, right? Like if anybody does it, it's, you know, some schmuck on Etsy that, you know, charges a fortune to, dissect it and put isopropyl rubbing alcohol on it or whatever so i can see them with the giant dollar signs in their eyes saying like oh we can just do this you know build a manufacturing process to disassemble the cartridge fix it all up do all the stuff that's necessary put it all back together and when you have a process for it it's super cheap, right? Like they just send it to a thing or send it to a, a distribution center. The distribution center puts it on the right workbench. Some guy unscrews all the bits and pieces, spends about 10 minutes on it, puts it back together and puts it in a pile to be mailed back out. They made 50 bucks or however much. And so, yeah. you know, for, from a from a business perspective, it makes a lot of sense for them. And at the same time, for folks that are super dedicated to playing these retro games on the original retro consoles rather than through an emulator or otherwise, I, I think it's a really great win. It's unfortunate that it's GameStop. <laughs> um, yeah, that's where I'm, 
the way I'm looking at it is they're just essentially killing all the mom and pop game shops that are out there because the I feel like the their main source of income is those retro games because they jack up the prices on those and that's what and I guess they also probably get a few diehard locals that'll spend their money there over GameStop but it's just like a goddamn plague. Yeah. Um. <sighs> It's like Game- now no one wins. No one wins other than GameStop. <laughs> but I think it was you on the last episode you were on, like episode, I don't remember if it was that, but you, yeah, you were saying that GameStop could potentially just, uh, fizzle out in the next like five, 10 years. And I, I, I could definitely see that happening, but with this on their side, they're like really going to hang in there. Well, I mean, it, like blockbusters still exists technically, right? Like what? <laughs> you know, like they, they don't have any storefronts, but they're sort of still a thing, and they've sort are of they still seriously? Got yeah, aren't they? I had I, no idea. I, maybe I'm wrong. Blockbuster. You yeah, know, it's it's still a thing. Blockbuster.com. Wow. Yeah, look I'm going to Google Hollywood Video then. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, it, it, it's really hard for a huge company to go completely out of business, right? Like, the only one that I can think of that happened in recent memory is Circuit City, but that's only because of their poor life choices. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, GameStop, I think, is going to be around for a long time, but I think it's going to fade into the background of public consciousness to su- such a degree that people aren't even going to think about it anymore, right? Like nobody even thinks about video stores, video rental stores anymore, unless you live in like Portland, Oregon or something. And so I certainly companies like Microsoft, Sony, Valve, et cetera, Nintendo are going to be working over the next few years to completely put them out of business uh, by just bringing the distribution platform right into the, the user's home, right? Why would you go to a store to buy a game on the day of, of the game's release when you can just download a copy, have it in your account. There's no disc to get scratched. There's nothing to lose. There's no bullshit pre-ordering system where, you know, Oh, you got here an hour late. Sorry. We gave your pre-order copy away to some nine-year-old, you know, like it, it just doesn't make sense to, to have a physical game store anymore when you can get a better deal and have better customer service direct from either the manufacturer or a distribution platform or some some other online solution. Yeah, that's I that said, agree with that. they're they've got a lot going for them with this this retro stuff. Um, what what were they saying today on? Um, I was li- like literally just before I got here. I was in my car um, listening to. Um, the uh, the isometric podcast. So they were talking about uh, one of the the hosts on the on the show going to Best Buy to buy Splatoon with the Wii U as a bundle, and they asked the uh, one of the, one of the salespeople at, at Best Buy, "Can I use my Wii controllers with the Wii U?" And the guy said, "No." Oh, that's so ridiculous. Which is bullshit. I was going to bring something similar up, but keep going. And, and, you know, they spent a few minutes being like, don't ever trust brick and mortar stores. Don't trust big box stores, you know, and it's totally the truth. Like people have this really sour taste in their mouths about Best Buy, about uh, Walmart, about GameStop, everyone, you know, and 
everybody has that story of, you know, going and their pre-order got all screwed up or they got, you know, they, they bought a game and, and they brought it back the same day and they only gave them, you know, half of what they paid for it. And at a certain point, people are just going to get fed up. You know, like we all know that it sucks and the people that work there are all making minimum wage and they don't really care about their jobs. And it's a shame, but I, I think that these these big brick and mortar stores, I think they are really hurting. And I, I think that they're they're definitely going to be physical. Five years from now, I can't imagine that GameStop will be in every mall. I can't even begin to imagine it. I know they've been branching out to like other weird stuff where they sell like plushies and things, but yeah. And like they'll uh, take your damaged phones and iPads. Like they're definitely yeah, capitalizing the, on that. Yeah. So they're, they're turning into like the, the salvation army of, of <laughs> <laughs> like electronics, but oh man, yeah, it's it, no, nobody, Nobody's going to be going there. You know, at a certain point, all the grandmothers are going to be like, oh, I'll just give them a gift card for, you know, Xbox online or whatever the hell Microsoft calls it or <laughs> the, you know, Steam. And and that'll be it. And so, yeah. Th- yeah. They're done for. Uh, okay. I, I definitely could see that. And I'm eager to see if we're going to still be a podcast, if we can st- speak on it five years from now. But, um... <laughs> But the one thing you mentioned about the Wii U controller not or the Wii U not accepting Wii controllers, like that's a, I guess a backwards compatibility issue on a controller level. Um, oh no! That, so that's not a thing. That's that's false. The guy was wrong. Oh yeah, no, okay. you can totally use a Wii controller with a with a Wii U. It's the same thing. In oh, fact, okay. you can use a Wii U controller with a Wii. No way. Yeah, yeah. It's just not the. Uh, you can't use the tablet thing. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. But that is really, I had no idea. Okay. Yeah. Well, that fills me in on that. But okay. Well, then down the backwards compatibility road, uh, I think it was just at E3 that Microsoft announced that they're, they're going to be releasing a bunch of backwards compatible, uh, titles for the Xbox One. So yeah, I think it's like up to a hundred different titles and they're obviously going to be like the mainstream ones, but it's, definitely a win in their corner like i'm a sony guy and i always root for playstation but god damn it like i love backwards compatibility i have playstation 1 games i have playstation 2 games i have playstation 3 games so when i want to buy a playstation 4 i would love to be able to play any assortment of those without needing the prior system but here comes xbox like kind of rubbing that into sony's face being like oh we have this going for us but then again sony's I think dominating this generation, um, sales wise, I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's accurate, but I think that's the general consensus. Yeah. I think it's interesting. And I think a lot of this is certainly Microsoft said, Oh no, we're not doing backwards compatibility with the Xbox one because it's not possible. You know, like that was a thing that they said. And a lot of the stuff that they said about the Xbox one has simply turned out to not be true. Right. And so, yeah, it was reworked a lot, even yeah. since the announcement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, well, I don't, I was going to say vaguely, only vaguely what it used to be, but it really isn't. It's basically the same as what it used to be. But the point is, um, it, I I think it's it's a big management shakeup at Microsoft. Certainly, uh, Satya, is it Satya? I think that's oh, I don't name. know. How, I can't pronounce anything. Yeah, Satya Nadella. It, it, the the new CEO of Microsoft, um, he's really been shaking stuff up. 
You know, like you look at some of the things that Microsoft has done in other places. They've open sourced .NET Core, right? That's a huge deal. .NET Core yeah. is the thing that basically runs any modern Windows app. And they've open sourced it. And now it works on OS X. It works on Linux. People have been trying to do this with open source projects for literally decades, right? And Microsoft just up and said, oh, by the way, here's all the code. And it runs and it works. <laughs> and That's so, sweet. You know, like stuff like that is super awesome. And it shows that times are changing at Microsoft because 10 years ago, that just wasn't a thing, right? Um, and so I look at stuff like Xbox and I can't imagine that Satya didn't come in and say, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, don't beat around the bush. Just just do it. Make people happy, right? Why would you do this thing that's unpopular when you could be making more money and making customers happy? Like, So I totally believe that they're... Um, they're having this this new management really i don't even know what i'm saying <laughs> I, I think that the new management is is definitely making a, a huge impact on the the day-to-day -day goings on at microsoft apparently it seems that the playstation can't it's it's impossible for the playstation 4 to to uh be backwards compatible as well but Apparently, the way the Xbox One is accomplishing it is by emulating the technology of the 360. Yes. Yeah, I'm, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, em, emulation is sort of a, a weird term. It's it's like they can then potentially add more titles to this list of the ones that are backwards compatible. Yeah, so the thing about the thing about PlayStation is that every generation of PlayStation, Sony basically says, "Guys, go pick a CPU manufacturer and we'll go with that." Right? So with PS3, I don't know if you remember, but they came up with this cell processor architecture, right? And that, if I'm not mistaken, was made uh, in part by IBM, right? So it's sort of power PC-ish. Uh, architecture. PlayStation 4 uses an AMD x86 CPU, right? Obviously, not even close to being the same thing. Like, uh, code on the PS3, even in the simplest form, just simply won't run because the CPU instructions are a completely different set of instructions. So, emulating a PS3 on a PS4 is probably just not even possible at all. Um, it would be like running an Android app on iOS. It's, it, it's unthinkable. With the Xbox yeah. One, let me just... Uh, I'm just going to validate my claims before I spout nonsense. Um, yeah, no problem. The one thing I will mention while you uh, look that stuff up, though, uh, the first round, or I don't know how I want to put it, but the first few PlayStation 3s that were sold had backwards compatibility. And it's something I would, I, I personally wish I had access to because that would be great to be able to play any number of my PlayStation 1 or PlayStation 2 games. I think I, the PlayStation 3, though, in general, is capable of playing PlayStation 1 games, but not PlayStation 2. Like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, it's so confusing. Yeah, I'm... I may have actually just proven myself wrong. So it, what's interesting, <laughs> the Xbox One and, and the Xbox 360 also don't share um, a CPU architecture. So um, 
the Xbox One is again uh, an AMD CPU. Um, or is it? Oh fuck it, mate! I don't even know. <laughs> it's complicated. So the the Xbox One is an AMD processor, and the Xbox 360 is a PowerPC uh, chip, right? Made by uh, IBM. So that that is curious. I was under the assumption that the the Xbox 360 was the same CPU architecture, but I, I, I've proven myself wrong. Um, so yeah, if if it's done with emulation, who knows? Maybe they've just been working on it this whole time. Like there's some guy in a back room that's been locked away. Well, I really believe <laughs> that that was the case. It was like, they're like, how can we take a stab at Sony? Oh, we'll just work on this in, the, in secret. And then it'll be something we could just kind of like just yeah. elbow them in the ribs. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's in, it's an interesting choice, and certainly like it it makes total sense for them to do it. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not entirely sure how they managed to pull it off, but I'm I'm sure. I just think in general, backwards compatibility should be wanted by all. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean it, it, it's very hard when you change CPU architectures, right? Because fundamentally, the CPU just can't run the other generation of the console's code, right? Like if you go from PowerPC to x86, it's just not going to translate. You just can't one to one map that. It's it's not possible. Yeah. So you either have to do some sort of transformation step or translation step, whatever. In fact, it may be the case, and I I believe I I read that the the games from the 360 won't actually use the disc you'll use the disc to validate that you own the game and then it'll download a copy of it so what might be the case is that microsoft might have just said hey guys just give us all your source code and then they compiled it themselves um which would be cool and probably took a lot of uh backroom deals and stuff uh now nintendo has been the master of backwards compatibility, right? Like the Wii could play GameCube games and had the virtual console. The Wii U can play Wii games. It's always been a thing, right? Like the GameCube has been able to play Game Boy Advance games. Uh, The Game Boy Advance has been able to play Game Boy games. It it, it has been in their DNA. And part of the reason why that's been possible um, to sort of prove that I was... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at least sort of right uh the wii u uses the same cpu architecture as the wii it's they're both power pc based so um generation generation if you want to run a wii game on a wii u all you have to do is say oh here's all the libraries that you expect over here just use those and everything should run fine and it does so m- nintendo has they've had it a bit easier and Perhaps that was strategic. Perhaps it was just convenience. But yeah, I think it's a unique quality about them seeing how the other uh, players in the game don't kind of just build on the existing architecture and they just start fresh and see, oh, how can we make this uh, latest and greatest where they've been kind of just building on an existing thing. And it kind of also makes sense why it took they're kind of slow to the game on the online community and like upping the graphics and stuff. Mm -hmm. One thing that's actually sort of along these lines is Apple announced at the latest WWDC that they're going to support this system called BitCode, And this affects iOS primarily, but basically when you compile an application for, 
uh, an Apple product, whether it be OS 10 or whether it be iOS or whatever, you use a tool called LLVM. And LLVM is a compiler like GCC or like Visual Studio or whatever you happen to be using. And one of the interesting things about LLVM is that it has this thing called intermediate representation. And the intermediate representation is, for all intents and purposes, the compiled version of the code. It just hasn't been translated to the specific architecture of the CPU. And without getting too technical and complicated and making all the listeners throw their iPhones into the street. Um, <laughs> basically what that means is, you know, all these problems with PowerPC not working with AMD, x86, and whatever, Bitcode is sort of the Esperanto of, of languages, right? Like you can translate it into anything or the American Sign Language, so to speak. And so this is what Apple's taking from the developers. And then the developers... Um, don't have to worry, okay, Apple's releasing a new phone, we have to recompile our our $1.99 Candy Crush or whatever it is, and Google can make it available for that device. Previously, you uploaded a binary, and that binary is designed to run on exactly one type of phone. On Android, they, they have it a bit different, where everything is Java, but the Java runs in a, in a VM that Google has control over. And so um, they have it a bit easier on, on the Google side. For Apple, they, they're kind of in a sticky situation because all of these games and apps can only ever work on one CPU architecture, which is Apple's own proprietary chip. So I would be interested to see whether the next generation of consoles takes the same approach where rather than providing the final compiled binary that you know the equivalent of a, an exe file um the the developers instead opt to provide this intermediate representation to companies like sony microsoft valve etc and it just works everywhere so that interesting that would be interesting wow, that to follow yeah Cool. And certainly that would that would put GameStop right out of business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, yeah, that's something interesting to follow and and look for with other uh, device and software manufacturers. Cool. I will definitely keep an ear out for that. And listeners, if you're still with us, uh, go ahead and th throw your phone into the street and <laughs> get, get an Android. Do yourself a favor. Yeah, get yourself some Android. <laughs> but um, all right. I think this has been a good episode. Um, uh, do you want to say anything before we wrap it up? Oh, geez. Um, if you've ever listened to Dungeons and Dragons, uh, or if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons, or you don't even know what Dungeons and Dragons are. I highly recommend you go check out Almost Better Than Dragons, which is another show in the Almost Better Network. You can check it out at almostbetter.net. We have one episode recorded, which is going out on the 30th, which is a week today. I don't know when this episode is going out. Um, oh, yeah. This Friday. Okay, so it'll be going out in one, two, three, four days. <laughs> nice. Um, and... After that, there will only be one more episode, uh, from from what I understand. So, it it's been. An, oh, is that true? Yeah, it, <laughs> it, that's what AJ said at least. Oh I, goodness, I don't know. I don't know if it's actually going to happen or not. Um, 
but yeah, so lots of exciting things coming with that. I've been planning and spending money. <laughs> and so, um, if, if you haven't ever been exposed to Dungeons and Dragons, definitely check it out and, and see what you think. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. Definitely. Um, also, if listeners want to reach out to us at all, uh, you can always email us at almostbetterthansilence at gmail.com. You can also contact us on our Facebook or Twitter. Our handle's ABT Silence. And yeah, I think that's it. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.